Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, and uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 37. And the title of the message, you have to say this with a little attitude, and the title of the message is Say What? That is the title of our message today. So uh, I tell you what to do. Let's make sure you understand the attitude behind it. Say what? Say that with me. Say what? Oh, oh, that's pretty good. I don't even have to have you do that again. That's really good. Uh, We're going to talk about today uh, loving your enemies. We're in the series of Truth, Love, and Worship. And uh, we have talked now for, I think, four Sundays. This is our fourth Sunday to speak of love. I I believe that uh, I'll start out with an illustration about someone that I had the privilege of knowing. I believe Jerry Falwell uh, is one of the greatest Christian leaders in the history of our country. Uh, He he was a marvelous man. He literally practiced what he preached. There were a lot of people that thought they knew him and thought they knew about him who didn't really know him. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. Dr. Falwell's son, Jonathan, described a moving conversation between his legendary father and uh, a man named Larry Flint, who uh, for a long time was and probably still is the publisher of Hustler magazine, a pornography magazine. Uh, Larry Flint and this Baptist preacher had uh, an unusual relationship. I shared this story several years ago, but it fits so perfectly with the uh, theme of the message today that I wanted you to hear it again today. Years ago, uh, Jonathan Falwell, Jerry's son, who's now the pastor of Thomas Road, Jonathan Falwell traveled with his dad to Florida, where he and Dr. Falwell were, uh, were debating, that is, Dr. Falwell and uh, was debating uh, Larry Flint. Here's something that Jonathan recalls. Mr. Flint asked my dad if we could give him a ride back to Lynchburg in my dad's private jet. Dr. Falwell had a, uh, his own jet, and uh, I, uh, I absolutely, uh, it, was, it was a beautiful black jet, and um, I, there's just nothing more wonderful. I, I enjoy owning my own uh, 2007 Tahoe, uh, but it's black like Dr. Falwell's jet uh, was, was black. But anyway, He asked my dad if uh, we could give him a ride back to Lynchburg in my dad's private jet. Dad said yes, so we traveled to the airport and boarded a beautiful black and gold Gulfstream 3. As we flew to Virginia, I sat across from Dad and Mr. Flint as they had a a long conversation about sports, uh, food, politics, and a lot of other topics. I was amazed and bewildered because they kept talking like they were old friends as we dropped off Mr. Flint in Lynchburg, I asked Dad, how come you could sit on that airplane and carry on a conversation with Larry Flint as though you guys were lifelong buddies? Dad, uh, he's the exact opposite of everything you believe in. He does all of the things that you preach against, and yet you are treating him like a member of your own church. Why? Jonathan Falwell goes on 
dad's response changed my whole outlook on ministry. Here's what his dad said. Jonathan, there's going to be a day when Larry Flint is hurting and lonely. And he'll be looking for help and guidance. He's going to pick up the phone and he's going to call someone who can help him. I want to earn the right to be that telephone call. Today we have the seventh message in our Truth, Love, and Worship series. And this sermon today is about loving your enemies. One of the hardest yet most Christian things that we can do. Jesus introduced the idea in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. There's nothing easy about any of those instructions. This is not a, an easy topic. This is not an easy uh, subject. It's tough to think about loving your enemies. It's tough to even know what loving your enemy should mean. Does this mean that all war should cease? Does this mean that everyone who is in court should plead no contest and and absorb the loss? Should we walk in notorious neighborhoods after dark and allow ourselves to be victimized and, and lift not one hand to defend ourselves? What about all of this? Is this what it means to love your enemy? Is this what it means to turn the other cheek? Is this what Jesus is talking about? Well, let's take a look at what he's talking about. First of all, we have to comprehend the position that Jesus is taking and that he's wanting us to take. Jesus gives us certain choices of postures that we should assume and uh, of values that we should understand. First, there's this choice. He said, now you have the choice of love and hate. They're not equal choices, but you have the choice. Do you remember from other sermons where I've read to you from various verses in 1 Corinthians, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but 
all things edify not, or I'll not be brought under the power of any. Well, here's what Jesus is saying right here. He said, you have a lawful choice. That lawful choice is between love and hate. In verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now, it's interesting that Jesus is speaking to those who hear. He said, I say to those of you who hear. Well, everybody that was near could hear. Is that what he was saying? I want to say to those of you who hear, this is what you should do. All of those who have the ability to hear what I'm saying, this is what I want you to do. Given the meaning of the word here in the original language, here's what Jesus could have said. To those of you who will heed. To those of you who will listen. To those of you who will try to appreciate what I'm saying. To those of you who really want to know, to those of you who really care about what I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. The, the, everyone could hear him, but not everyone would respond to him. And Jesus said, I want you to hear me and respond to me. And so he speaks to a large group of people, but he hones in on those people who would heed what he has to say who would hear him and respond to him. Loving our enemies rather than hating them is something that most folks cannot heed. Most folks cannot listen to. They just can't do it. Um, I, I had someone come to me uh, this, this summer about a person, and I could just see it was, it was a woman, and she came to me regarding another woman, and I could just see in her eyes and hear in her tone. There was, there was a, not a whole lot of love here. Uh, there was no love. I could see some really, really bad feelings going on. And I asked this person, I said, uh, you have interaction with this one. How often have you shared with them how much you appreciate them and love them in the Lord? Oh, well, I don't. Well, now, you're a believer, and I think you're sincere in your faith. Don't you think that if you consider this person to be your enemy, that there should be a way that you should be able to love them? She said, well, I, I do, but I would never know how. And I said, well, I do. You can just, first of all, tell her you love her. And I said, I happen to know this about this person. She likes a particular thing, and I told her what this person likes. It's a particular food item. She likes this particular food item. It's easy to buy. It's easy to give as a gift. Why don't you go and buy some of that and give that to her and tell her, you know, I just felt like I needed to tell you that I love you and appreciate you and kind of seal it with this, uh, this treat. She found that very difficult. I think she made an effort. I hope that she did. But I want to tell you something, folks. It's not easy to do that, to love your enemies. There's so much animosity 
built up between ourselves and other people, that the idea of loving them has, it causes so much trouble. That, and it, it's, we literally think that, that to love our enemy is to live outside the box when actually it's to live within the will of God, the stated words of Jesus. Unless you have outlived them all, and there are some people who have. I, I, you've heard the story about the old man that was 100 years old, and, and uh, they said, uh, what do you uh, have to say to your enemies now that you've lived to be 100 years old? He said, oh, I, I don't have any enemies. And they said, you, you've lived to be 100 and don't have any enemies? Well, I had enemies, but he said, I've outlived all those old buzzards. And uh, <clears throat> so if you've lived long enough, you may have outlived some of your enemies, but if you haven't lived that long, chances are you still have some. There's a person in your neighborhood, or there's a person at work, uh, there's somebody that's undermining you, there's somebody in your circle of uh, friends and acquaintances, they, they send little jabs your way, and, and there may be some just full-blown out-to-get-you enemies. There may be some out there. Love is the first and the last word in the Christian life. And to be all that we can be, we must learn the value of loving those who do not love us. We've got to learn the the value of loving those who actually hate us. You ever heard somebody say this? I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. You know what they're saying? They're actually saying that they understand there's some frame of reference for loving even your enemies. That's the beginning of loving instead of hating. Our position should be that of love and not hate. Here's the second thing in the position. It should be of a blessing and not a cursing. Verse 28, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Now, to those Jewish people, the word blessing evoked images of of a long life, of wealth, a large, healthy family, a full barn, and defeated enemies. That's That's what joy was to them. That's what prosperity was to them. It's a pretty tough sell to get someone to want their enemies to prosper like that. It's a pretty tough sell to want your enemies to do very, very well. There's something secret in most of us that wants our foes to fall. There's something secret in most of us that wants those people that hate us to get theirs. And if they don't get theirs, we at least don't want them to prosper so much. There's just something in us that that causes us to take that kind of a, of a position. Again, does this mean that all war should cease and that all, all of us become pacifist? Well, to me, the next statement is very revealing about this whole thing, about loving your enemy and, and all of that. We have to understand the difference between insult and injury. Most people are angry with someone and hold grudges over insults and not over injury. Most of us have a level of tolerance where that we will not allow ourselves to be insulted. We don't want to be insulted. And when we're insulted and embarrassed, then we come to the place 
of really resisting uh, someone else. We don't like to be insulted. We've all heard of the, the pacifist Quaker who said to his enemy, friend, I would not harm thee. Indeed, I wish thee no injury. But I must tell thee that thou art standing where I'm about to shoot. And that's kind of the way we work it. Uh, The Quaker must have been reading verse 29 of our text. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your, your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now we understand what this is talking about, especially those of us who were raised with siblings. If you were raised with a sibling, would you raise your hand, please? You were raised with a sibling. All right, most people in this room will understand what I'm about to talk about. If you were raised with a brother or a sister, and you traveled any distance in the back seat of your parents' car, you probably got into a, a game of hit last, which was no game at all. It was at first. But it stopped being a game at one point. And then it became injury. If you slept in the bed with a sibling, which I did. Most of you know I'm the last of nine children. I slept in the bed with, with uh, my brother for the longest, with my sister for a while, and then with my brother for the longest time. When I slept in the bed with my brother, we, we drew an imaginary line down the middle of the bed. How many of you have drawn an imaginary line down the middle of the bed? Did you raise your hand? Come on. Yeah, we drew an imaginary line down the middle of the bed. Don't put your foot over the line. Don't get your elbow over the line. Don't get so close to the line that your body heat is making me uncomfortable. There's all kinds of, of things. We set boundaries. There's also the possibility that your brother... Or sister borrowed your clothes without asking. Now, hopefully, you sisters didn't have a brother who borrowed your clothes <clears throat> without asking. But if you have a sibling, I, I can tell you right now that even, even after I grew up, had children of my own, that, that I still would miss things that they would take. One of the happiest days of my life was when I could go to my sock drawer and see all of the socks that were there from the last time that I went to my sock drawer. My socks evaporated in the house. But here's what all of this did for us, all that hit last and drawing lines and and all that business. It set us up for a life of getting even. It set us up for a, a life of wanting to make sure that we even the score. Well, Jesus changed the standard on getting even. If someone gets to you, just let it go. That's one of the hardest things to do, but just let it go. You do not have to repay with anger and retaliation something that only insults or inconveniences you. There's nothing significant 
about the person walking down the aisle in the airplane, bumping you with luggage or even a sizable posterior that should make you feel like you've got to say something to them about it. That's just insult. Gross insult in some cases, but an insult. This is the kind of thing when we're dealing with, with trivial matters, pay it no attention. But you say, preacher, when it's a threat, should we pay attention? I want to show you a, a video to kind of introduce the, the next uh, paragraph or so of my message. Take, take a look at this video. This was on the news this week. Many of you saw it this week. Watch what happens. The, the mother and a friend was coming out with a baby in a stroller. <clears throat> there was a guy in a van that backed up and he either didn't see or didn't look and he backed over the stroller and over the child and then drove off and the child was in the stroller and the mother ran very quickly to take the baby out of the stroller and then the car drove on. This took place in Michigan. It happened this week. They've been looking for the guy who was the driver of the car. Now, loving your enemy does not mean that you should not protect your property, that you should not protect your person, that you should not protect your family. If your person or your life is in danger or if someone else is in danger and you can stop it, Luke 6, 29 doesn't prevent you from stopping the danger or the harm. Injury is different from insult. If you back into my car and drive off, I may make an effort to find out who you are, but I'm not going to spend a great deal of time tracking you down. However, if you back over one of my grandchildren and drive off, like took place there, well, I'm going to find you. I'm going to work for the rest of my life to find you. Because chances are, you're backing over other people's grandchildren. You're hurting other people. War, self-defense, right to defend property are not about an insult. They are about an injury. There is a difference between humiliation and harm. When somebody humiliates you, when somebody embarrasses you, when somebody hurts your feelings, when somebody calls out your mistake, when somebody puts you in a, a negative light and it, and it really causes humiliation, when something like that happens, you have to understand that's not the same thing as pistol whipping you. It's not the same thing as stealing your identity and ruining your reputation. It's not the same thing. Injury is different from insult. It, it, it is and it always has been. Jesus helps us to see that our position should be as he encourages us, what our position should be as he encourages us to love and to bless and to turn the other cheek. That's the position that we ought to have. We ought to love and not hate. We ought to bless and not curse. We ought to decide the difference between insult and injury and not respond so vehemently to that which was only insult. 
Now, here's the, the point. There's the position, then there's the point. The point to all of this is that something needs to be different about the life of a person who professes to be a Christian. There ought to be something different about us. It's my belief that the habits of our lives should be different, but more distinguishing than what we will or will not do is our attitude toward one another and the world around us. That's the more distinguishing thing. Our habits say something, but our heart says more. We've already learned that our love for each other marks us as believers, John 13, 35. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now we learn that there's yet another level of love, placing a, the trademark of faith on our lives. Here it is in Luke 6 and verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? <clears throat> for even sinners love those who love them. And again, verse 33. And if you uh, do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, <clears throat> what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same. Look, there is a, <clears throat> a different kind of love that we ought to have. There is a different kind of a, an understanding that we should have. What is that? What is that different love? Everybody loves those people who love them, or at least most do. There's, there's nothing different about loving our best friends. There's nothing different or distinctive about our lives to love our families and to love our buddies at work and so on. Unless someone is an extreme loner, love begets love. Somebody loves you, you're going to get loved back. It's kind of like those notes that you pass to school in elementary school. You remember that? I like you, do you like me, check yes or no. You remember that? Now if somebody checked no, well, that was the end of it. But if somebody checked yes, and baby, it's on. <clears throat> they checked yes. All of a sudden, we were boyfriends and girlfriends because we liked <clears throat> each other. That's what usually happens. Love begets love. The difference comes when we love the unloving, <clears throat> the ones <clears throat> who do not love us. <clears throat> Jesus spoke of the benefits of this kind of love in the Sermon on the Mount and what it means. He said in verse 9 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. If you have that different love, you become a peacemaker. And when you're a peacemaker, people who may not even know you identify you as one of God's children. We, that is, all of us, should live a different life and understand that our differences show. Here's the kind of life we should live, a distinctive life. Now, I'm talking to people that come to church on Sunday morning, and I'm thankful that you're here on Sunday morning. <clears throat> but my question is about the distinction of your life. How is your life <clears throat> distinct from those people that stayed at home this morning? There's so many things that, that you and I can, can do which do not differ at all from the lost world. The people who do not know Christ are 
or don't even want to know Christ. Chances are you live in a house or a neighborhood or an apartment or apartment complex. Here's what I can assure you. There are a lot of people who live around you who do not hold to a Christian value. They do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They do not want to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You have a, a parking area. You have a driveway. You have a lawn. They have the same things. And if someone rode through your neighborhood, what they would see is your house and their house and somebody else's house and somebody else's house. There is nothing distinguishing about your house. You just do the same thing. We all live in houses or apartments. We drive cars. We, we go to work. We shop at the mall. We go to restaurants. We go to the beach. We, we do so many other things. We do a lot of things that are duplicated in the world. What are the distinguishing marks? Well, there is that idea that you don't do those things that the world does. But the, rea- the real idea <clears throat> is that while you're in the world, you're not of the world. And to be not of the world means that there is a, a distinguishing mark about your life that makes you different from the rest of the world. <clears throat> we have already stated it. Those people who are distinguished from the rest of the world are the ones who love them, uh, be, who love their enemies. You, that's the distinction between you. <clears throat> to be very honest, and, and I, I hate to say this, lost people do not love their enemies, and most Christian people do not love their enemies. Look, I'm going to use the word we, I'm not going to use the word you. <clears throat> most of us, we don't love our enemies. <laughs> we do not love our enemies. <clears throat> we check the obituaries for our enemies. <clears throat> We don't love them. That's the truth. And you know what? We're like everybody else in that. That's not the command of Jesus. The command of Jesus is that we have a, a love for our enemies in such a way that it, it shows that we are different from other people. It's, it's not just a, a distinctive, a Christian distinctive to love your enemy. It's a devout Christian distinctive. If you love your enemy, there is something going on in your life that is really unique among many believers. So we've seen a, the point is that there's a different love and a distinctive love. And there's a distinguishing label. We've already mentioned that, so we'll move right on into it. Not to say that we flaunt our Christianity, but we shouldn't hide it either. Do you remember when Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 14? You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to go home this afternoon and go next door to that wicked neighbor, the one that nobody in the neighborhood likes, and wash and wax their car. I'm not suggesting that you need to do that. If you want to do that, that's fine. 
the expectation is that if a wicked neighbor has an issue with us, we do our best to be accommodating and kind, which can sometimes reveal the real problem. Problems are not loving our enemies and doing good to those who despise us. That's not a bad thing. That is a good thing. And when you can do that, it's a great thing. You ever, you ever been out in the community and come across one of your enemies? Have you? I have. I'd love to tell you that I don't have any enemies. I'd just love to tell you. You know, Pastor Ray's such a sweet guy. Nobody would ever, you know, think anything bad. I'd love to tell you that. But oh, there's an old preacher named B.R. Lakin. Uh, years ago, he, speaking of Falwell, he was one of Jerry Falwell's very dear friends. He used to say, if they're kicking you in the rear, that means you're out front. <clears throat> so if you're going to get in the front of anything and, excuse me, <clears throat> if you're going to get in the front of anything and lead it, you're going to have a few enemies. It's just going to happen like that. It is going to happen. There are going to be some people who feel like that they were wronged and you were a part of their being wronged or this happened and you were a part of that and they're going to assume things and, and you can't fix all that stuff. You can't fix all that. But I'll tell you what you can fix. You can fix your attitude concerning them. You can fix that. I see people all the time who I know at one time had a challenging attitude in their relationship to the ministry, to North Florida Christian School, to whatever it may be. I, I, I see that all the time. Now, I want to tell you, if I turn around and go the other way because I can't stand to be in a room with them, then I don't get to go anyplace to eat. I don't get to go to the mall. I don't get to go to anywhere because there's always somebody. <clears throat> it's always going to happen. It's going to happen for you. It's not just me. It's going to happen for you. I, I went <clears throat> to a, um, a PGA tournament not too long ago just to, they didn't invite me to play, but uh, <clears throat> So I went to watch those guys who could play, play. And someone that, and it's, it's not a big deal, but someone was there who, um, who I didn't see. And it would, it would be, you know, that category of person <clears throat> that I was talking about. And someone who uh, was there with me <clears throat> and looked at me and, and said, um, just be careful, so-and-so just walked by. And I said, that doesn't matter. It's okay. Hope they enjoy the tournament. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, you, you <clears throat> Look, what if you die with the heartburn in your throat of despising an enemy? Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Wouldn't it be awful to feel that way? You, you may never get to be best friends with 
that person who may have been an enemy or, or hates you. But you do not have to return hate for hate. You can, the Bible says you can overcome evil with good. And you can do that. That takes a little work. And it's like the old Seinfeld episode where, where uh, Costanza's, I guess it was Costanza's daddy, uh, said, serenity now, serenity now, serenity now. You can overcome that. You, you can. You can. You don't have to be mad all the time at people who've just insulted you or just inconvenienced you or said something. But what if they said something bad about you? It's okay. It's okay. If, if somebody says something bad about you, does that make you a bad person? Does it? No. It doesn't. I raised my three sons with this saying, never let what other people say change who you are. You have a responsibility to before God to be a certain kind of person. All of us have that responsibility. I want to tell you, folks, there's, it's a big deal to get a hold of this thing of loving your enemies. There's the position, there's the point, and there are some, some positives, and we're going to end with the, the positives today. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Here's about three positives, and we're done. First of all, paying it forward. This kind of a pay-it-forward love is a positive in our lives. It's remembering how we were loved and forgiven and doing the same for others. Ephesians 4.32 said, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the way we're to be. We're to see how we were forgiven and forgive like we were forgiven. Now, there's, therein lies the problem. Too many of us think too highly of ourselves. And we think to ourselves, well, I'm not like that person. I will say this to you, yet for the grace of God, you're like that person. You are. I, I have a lifelong battle with weight. I told somebody, um, I've told a lot of people this. I said, I don't, I don't want to be a little guy. I've never been a little guy. I'm not going to be a little guy. That's just not who I am. If I, looked, if I was a little guy, there would be a rumor that, you know, that I had some disease and that was it. But I did say this. I said, however, I'm that guy that could be as big as a car. And I am. I'm that guy. You, you, <laughs> you don't think I can eat a box of cereal at a time? I can flat do it. 
You don't think I could stop at Krispy Kreme and get a dozen while the hot light's on and devour them while they're still bubbling? I can do it. Because I know I've got that in me. Here's something else I know that I've got in me. No good thing other than what God is in my life. We have to come to that place of understanding that we're truly undeserving sinners. Those enemies of yours, those people who have done you wrong, those enemies of yours, if you cut down to the core of who they are, you, you as an individual did not like or you suffered perhaps because of what they did. But if you cut down to the core, you are a sinner and they are a sinner. If you are saved by grace, thank God for that and pray that they will be saved by grace. Here's the second thing. When you love your enemies, you're paying it forward. You're also the proof of the Father. You're proving the Father. What we want in our lives is to be like the Lord. We want to prove Him in our lives. It's interesting that, that we're told of God's goodness in, <clears throat> to the ungrateful and the evil. That's an interesting thing. You do recall this verse telling of God's love and care for people in, in Matthew five forty five so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. L- listen to this. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And in our text, it, it tells us that when we love our enemies, we're loving like God loves. Because God loves those complaining and blesses those complaining and wicked people. When we love our enemies and do good to those who who do us wrong, we're more like God than at any other time. And I'm guessing that most of us do not find ourselves in this place too very often. Nevertheless, when we love our enemies, we are more like the master. And this is how we have to become. The positives in loving your enemy is that you pay it forward and that we prove God. And then finally, we gain positive favor. Let's go back and see these two verses again. But love your enemies and and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. And here's where it says, for he is kind to ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Our reward will be great. Do these things and your reward will be great. Tony the Tiger used to say, great. Your reward will be great. Now, what is that? What is that? I don't really know, but here's what I do know. I know that it was Jesus who said it. You see, <laughs> if, if some old boy hadn't been very far and hadn't known very much and all he's ever done is just a little bit right there in his own community and never gotten out and so forth, and he said, I tell you what, your reward's going to be great. I, I'd appreciate that. But this is Jesus. He said, your reward <clears throat> will be 
great. I'm just going to leave that up to him. I don't need anything else. That's good enough for me, Arthur. Jesus said, my reward will be great. For doing what? Loving your enemies. Loving them. Quit trying to slip out the back when they come in the front. Quit wishing they were dead. Quit hating it when you hear that something good is happening in their life. Just stop it. And you know what you get for that? Jesus said your reward will be great. Do you have a, an enemy to love? Could you put a Larry Flint in your car and take him to his destination? There's an addendum to the story of Dr. Falwell that you probably won't read anywhere. This came to me privately from kind of through family, so to speak. And it's about a, a time two years prior to Dr. Falwell's death. Dr. Falwell had many bouts with his heart. If you knew him in his later years, you know that two things were with him always, a defibrillator and uh, an oxygen supply. They were with him always the last two years of his life, as well as someone traveling with him who could administer those, those things. Two, and it could have been as many as three years before he died, he was taken to the hospital and almost died. In fact, he was about to be pronounced dead when a nurse, a male nurse, he was a man who was gay, said, I will not allow Dr. Falwell to die. And so <clears throat> he continued working with the life-saving techniques until Dr. Falwell was revived. You see, that gay nurse had sat in the services of Thomas Road Baptist Church when Jerry Falwell preached against the sin of homosexuality and the importance of loving the homosexual, the importance of loving those in the gay lifestyle with a love that would convince them that we had the love of Jesus in our, our lives. And to love all sinners with the love of Jesus. And that nurse that day said, he's not going to die. And he continued the life-saving tactics until Dr. Falwell came around. It was God who brought Dr. Falwell back but it was a positional enemy who responded to the love that he had been shown who would not give up on this famous pastor's life. There's someone in whose life you can make a big difference just by loving and caring for them because they think you never will. They don't expect you to do so, but God does. And it just may be the thing that proves God to that one person who for now sees nothing but red every time you come around, but may at some point begin to see love, the love of Christ.
You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.